Well, good morning, N-Town. It's good to be back with you, at least, if not in person, at least virtually, from right here in St. Louis. Uh, but I'm thankful for the opportunity to, to be able to preach the Word of God again as a part of this teaching team on the Philemon Project. If you've been with us these last few weeks, you remember that we started with Pastor Jimmy with looking at Philemon and the gospel framework around that. And then the, the second week, we looked at Philemon in light of the Old Testament context. Last week, if you were with us, remember that Pastor Jimmy preached on Philemon in light of the New Testament context and what it said about slavery in particular from Ephesians chapters four through six. Well, today we're gonna to be in Philemon itself and, and particularly verses eight through 22. And I wanna talk around the theme of Philemon and the end of slavery. Philemon and the end of slavery. If you have a Bible, you can turn there to Philemon. We're gonna have slides with the scripture as well. Now, just to set the context uh, a little bit at the beginning of this, this letter, this is one that's unusual in a lot of ways, not just because it's Paul's shortest letter, but the way that Paul introduces himself is not as the apostle, but as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And then he opens with some really wonderful words of thanksgiving and, and, and admiration for Philemon. But what you find that this is also strategic because a number of those things that he highlights in the introduction in the, the greeting to Philemon and to the church that's gathered to listen with him, he comes back to them in the midst of this message. And we'll hear that as we go through. But for now, let's hear the reading of God's word from Philemon, uh, verse 8 through verses 22. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. Verse 15 for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me your own very self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, Prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. This is God's word. Let's open together with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word testifies about itself, that, it, that it's living and active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword, it's able to get beneath the surface, 
And we're grateful for that because what that means is you're able to get to our minds and our thoughts, our attitudes, even our own very hearts. And so we pray you would do that through your word in this time. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in this place and all the places where we're gathered. And we pray that you would move in us so we would understand the words that we read and hear from God's word. But not only that, we pray that you give us power to be able to live in light of these words. Help us, Lord, to live in light of Philemon and the end of slavery. And so we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. There's a book I want to read from. It's called The uh, Talking Book. It's by an author named uh, Alan Dwight Callahan. And the subtitle of the book is African Americans in the Bible. And it goes through talking about in history all the way from from our, our first beginning to come to this country all the way up until now. And the, the vital place that the Bible has played in the lives of God's people here. Well, I want to read this one section, and this is primarily talking about African-Americans in the time of slavery. And it talked about the wrestle that they had with the Bible. On the one hand, some of them looked at the Bible, and this is their words, as a poison book. But then others looked at the Bible and said, no, it is not a poison book. It is a good book. Let me, let me read this section. It captures a little bit of that. It says here that African-Americans found that the Bible had the power of curse and cure. Ultimately, African-Americans embraced the Bible, a poison book, the author says, because it was so effective in measured doses as its own antidote. He goes on to say that African-Americans found the Bible to be both healing balm and poison book. To afford themselves its healing properties, African-Americans resolved to treat scriptures with scripture. Their cure for the toxicity of pernicious scripture was more scripture. The attitude to hostile texts of the Bible was more Bible. So what Callahan is saying is, is even though there were many difficult places in the Bible, African-Americans, rather than turn away from the Bible, looked unto the Bible even more to give them hope. Because that same Bible that says slaves obey your master and is, was misused that way, was used to condone slavery and to enforce it. That same Bible also says, let justice roll down like a mighty river and righteousness, like, a never, like an ever flowing stream. That same Bible that says slaves obey your masters also says that male and female are made in the image and likeness of God. And it also says that we are wonderfully and fearfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The same Bible that says slaves obey your masters. That same Bible also says treat others as you would want to be treated. And so for them, this book that on the one hand could be used as a poison book was also a healing balm. It, was, it wasn't just... Uh, what, what some writers would say curse, it was instead cure. So how does Philemon, how does Philemon fit into that? Does Philemon endorse slavery? Does, does Philemon condone slavery? Or do we find here within the words of Philemon seeds of the gospel that will undermine and bring about the destruction of slavery? 
So what do we learn from this text? Let's look to God's word. And what we want to do is look at it around three headings. We want to look at the end of slavery for Onesimus, first of all. And then secondly, we want to look at the end of slavery for Philemon. And then lastly, we want to look at the end of slavery for us. And that's just looking quickly at some applications. So the end of slavery for Onesimus, for Philemon, and for us. Let's start with the end of slavery for Onesimus. Now, what do we know about Onesimus as we're reading through this? Not much, right? But what we can deduce in reading through Philemon is Onesimus was a slave in the house of Philemon. And Onesimus had run away. We don't know why he did, but we know that he ran away and he came in contact with the Apostle Paul and while, he, while Paul was in prison. Now, what was slavery like then? How is it different from the slavery that we know in our own country? Well, a couple things that are different is this was not race-based in Philemon's context like it was in our own culture, country. And you wouldn't, hopefully, you wouldn't remain slaves for your entire life. It had a limited duration. And so it was very different in that way. But how was it similar? Well, here's a definition of slavery. It's an institution of the law of nations by which Contrary to nature, a person is subjected to the power of another. That's true in slavery in every context. Now, the main sources of slavery in their time were warfare, piracy, what's called brigandage, international slave trade, kidnapping, infant ex exposure, the natural reproduction of the existing slave population, and the punishment of criminals, either to mines or to the, gla the gladiator, arenas. That's how people became slaves. And yes, it's very different from the slavery that we saw in our country, but we should not minimize it either and make it sound like it's just like having a, a good job or just being an employee. Maybe a third of the people were slaves in that time. Rome was built around, really, you could say the economy of slaves. The words of Aristotle, what did he say about slaves? They are just tools that breathe, in other words. They are living tools. They're human, but they are things. They are treated as property. And so what can we learn about Onesimus as a slave in particular? Well, here in verse 10, Paul is writing to Philemon. He says, I appeal to you. And then he says, for my child, Onesimus. What does he mean? Well, he goes on to say, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And so we don't know why Paul and Onesimus came in contact. We're not even sure where, whether it was Paul's imprisonment in Ephesus or maybe Rome, which is most likely. But somehow they came in contact, and Paul says that he became my child, which Paul says of people that end up coming to faith in Jesus Christ through Paul's sharing of the gospel and living out the gospel in front of them. And that's what happened with Onesimus. And what change did that bring about in Onesimus's life? Well, you can tell in verse 11, listen to this. It says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. He goes from being useless to useful. And there's a play on words. Actually, the name Onesimus, it means useful. It was actually a common slave 
name because they were hoping that that's what would happen with the slaves is they would make themselves useful or profitable. And what he's saying there is there's a change in Onesimus. Somehow it says that, that he was looked at as a useless slave, but now he's become a useful person because of the change of Jesus Christ in his life. And it goes on in verse 13, it says, I am sending him back to you. Paul is sending the runaway slave back to Philemon, his master. And listen to how Paul describes him. Sending my very heart. And the word that's used here for heart, it's used in several places in this passage. It's, it's not the typical word for heart. It talks about a feeling of affection from the very insides. This is my one that I love. My beloved friend, my beloved son, he calls Onesimus, but Paul is sending him back. So imagine you being in Onesimus' shoes and you've run away and you've, you've come to Christ. Your life has changed, but now you're being called to go back, back to Philemon. In fact, Onesimus is going to be one of the two people that actually carries this letter back that's going to be given to Philemon and read to the church that meets in Philemon's house. What else do we know about Onesimus? Maybe one more thing. In verse 18, Paul says, if he's wronged you at all, he says this to Philemon, or owes you anything, charge it to my account. And so it's possible that Onesimus not only ran away, but in running away, he did something wrong in addition to that. Maybe he stole from, from Philemon. Maybe he took something for his journey. We don't know. It doesn't say specifically what he did, but it's possible, it looks like, that there was something that he did that needs something that he took that needs to be paid back. And so he's suffering from injustice, but he also commits an injustice. Now, maybe somebody there says, well, wait a minute. What do you mean he's suffering from injustice? Slavery was a legal thing, right? But it was still unjust. In Martin Luther King's letter to Bur from Birmingham jail, he writes that there's two kinds of laws. There's just laws and unjust laws. What's the difference? The difference with a just law is it jives or it squares with the law of God. An unjust law does not. And so then what he wrote to the people who were criticizing him for protesting because of the injustice for, uh, for workers in Birmingham, he says, this segregation, all of these laws are unjust. And so it is our duty not only to not obey them, but to bring them to light, to say that they are unjust. So many of the, the writers and, and the, the sermons that I listened to about this passage talked about the injustice of Onesimus running away from Philemon, but very few talked about the fact that Onesimus being a slave is a great injustice in and of itself, whether it's in Roman culture, whether it's in American culture. It's unjust. And so what does it mean for Onesimus to go back to this place? Paul is calling him to go back. Now think about it. Put yourself in his shoes. And, and we want to think maybe we can relate to that. Maybe some of you out there today, you feel like Onesimus because you're coming from a context where you have been on the oppressed end. You have experienced injustice. You know what that feels like to, to feel like someone's knee is on your neck. Maybe not in a literal sense, but even in a figurative sense. 
And what is he calling Onesimus to do? He's calling him to go back and get real freedom, to give up the, the freedom that he's tried to seek for himself, to go back. And that's risky, isn't it? But what a calling of faith. He's calling him to go back. And not only that, he, in calling him to go back, you know what he's calling him to do? He's also calling him to forgive. He's calling him to go back and forgive his master for treating him as property and not like a person. So put yourself in Onesimus' shoes. This is what Paul is calling him to do. On the one hand, this is great news if you feel like Onesimus, because you see that God's minister and God's word advocates for you. But at the same time, it calls you. It calls me. It calls me to treat people in a different way. It calls me to forgive just as my master, the Lord Jesus Christ, has forgiven me. So that's what we see, first of all, in slavery for Onesimus. But what about the end of slavery for Philemon? What about the end of slavery in Philemon? What do we know about Philemon in the second point? What do we know about him just from this letter? Well, we can tell that he's a wealthy person, right? He has a house that's big enough where he's able to hold a house church there. And he has slaves, and so that means that he's a, a wealthy person. It, we can also tell as we're reading this letter that he became a believer in Christ through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, either directly through Paul or one of the people that ministers with Paul. They led him to Christ. And we also know from this story that one of his slaves, Onesimus, ran away. We don't know why. We don't know that whether Philemon was treating him cruelly. We don't know. It doesn't say that. But here, what does Paul say? What does Paul invite him to do to end slavery in Philemon's eyes and context? Verse 8, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ, Paul says, to command you. Paul is an apostle, but he says, I, was, I am bold enough to command you to do what is required, yet I'm not going to do that, Paul says. Why not? Verse 9, he says, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And then look at what Paul does. He says, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus. Paul is the apostle, the great apostle Paul, the one who has led Philemon to the Lord. But what does he do? Who does Paul identify with? Paul says, I am an old man and I'm a prisoner here in jail. He's identifying with the weak. He's identifying with Onesimus. And he's setting aside his authority and he's appealing, not because he's an apostle, but he's appealing on the basis of love. He says this again in verse 14. He says, I prefer to do nothing without your consent. Why? In order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free Will. In other words, he doesn't want Philemon to do something because Paul's telling him to do it, even though Paul could do that. Paul could command him to. But instead, Paul wants him to want to do it. Paul wants this to come from a heart of love. But what is it that Paul wants? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 15. He now appeals to the sovereignty of God. He says, for this, perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back 
forever. Here's what he's saying. I know Onesimus ran away, and maybe that's wrong, at least in your eyes, Philemon. But maybe it's not just that Onesimus ran away. Maybe it was the plan of God so that he would run away. And then in his time running away, he would come to know Jesus Christ so that when he comes back to you, he comes back as your brother in Christ. And Paul is, is thinking along the lines that many people are thinking back in Scripture to the example of Joseph. When Joseph in the Old Testament looks at his brothers and say, listen, you meant all the, the evil and all the, the hardship that you put me through. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good to bring about the salvation of many lives, including yours. He's not saying that what they did was right, but he's saying that in the sovereignty of God, God took what the evil one meant for evil and harm, and he turned it around and he used that for good. And so Paul is saying, Philemon, perhaps, maybe this is also what's at work here. Maybe this is not only the, the matter of Onesimus running away, but maybe this is God sending him away so that he can come to know Jesus and then you can have him back as your brother. What is Paul after here? Verse 16. At the end of verse 15, he says that you might have him back forever. And then listen to verse 16 at the very beginning. It says, have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave. What does he mean? As a beloved brother. Some of you, have you heard that hymn, the old Christmas hymn, O Holy Night, that's so difficult to sing, right? But there's a verse, the third, it's, it's an amazing verse. It says, truly, he, the Lord, taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. And then it goes on. That's what Paul is appealing to right now. I want you to have him back, Philemon, he's saying, not just as a slave, but more than a slave, now as a brother. Now, so some writers take this to be Paul saying, have him back as a free man now. Free him from slavery, because how is it that you can oppress your brother? And some writers say, no, it, it means he's having him back as a slave, but now he's going to treat him in a different way. At the very least, brothers and sisters, what we can say, as we look back centuries later from a different context, we can look and say, at the very least, God is planting seeds of the gospel there through Paul's words, through God's word, to bring about the destruction of this cruel institution of slavery. For how in the world can I receive someone as a brother and sister and treat them unjustly and oppress them? And so at the very least, what Paul is doing is he's sowing the seeds that will sprout and will blow up and destroy this cruel institution. Well, as we keep reading, verse 17, as we're thinking about the end of slavery before Philemon, verse 17, Paul says, if you consider me your partner, and the root of that, it's uh, that word koinonia, the word fellowship. So he's not just talking about a business partner, but he's talking about a partner in being a part of the family of God together. 
If you consider me a partner, here's the appeal. Here's what Paul is saying. Receive him as you would receive me. Receive the slave who's run away in the same way as you would receive me, the apostle who's led you to Jesus Christ. Receive the one who might have wronged you and cost you as the same one as you would receive the same one who's brought you life, who loves you. Receive the slave Onesimus as you would your brother, really your father in the faith, the apostle Paul. So how in the world can Philemon receive Paul, receive Onesimus back and still treat him as a slave? If Paul is saying, receive him as you receive me, the only other place where we see this in scripture where Paul writes something like this is in Romans 15, verse 7, where he's writing to the Jewish and Gentile believers in the same church and pleading with them to be unified with one another. He says, receive one another or welcome one another. How? As Jesus Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. That's what he's calling him to do. And so again, as Paul's saying, bring him back and free him from slavery. At the very least, he's sowing seeds that will bring about its destruction. If we keep reading verse 18, again, it says, if he has wronged you at all. And so it's possible that Onesimus not only has run away from Philemon, but maybe he ran away and he took something. It says, if he has wronged you or owes you anything, guess what? Paul says, I got you. Charge it to my account. I will cover it. And then he reiterates it in verse 19. He says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And then he throws in this line to say nothing of owing, of your owing me, even your very self. Now, isn't that funny? Don't you know your parents or grandparents, they'll say, I'm not going to tell you but I'm telling you anyway. That's what Paul does here. He says, you know what? I'm not going to say anything, but I'm going to say you owe me your very self, which is probably referring to the fact that Paul, through his ministry, was used by God to lead Philemon to Jesus Christ. And so Paul's saying, I'll pay back that debt, but don't forget about the far greater debt that you owe to me and that God used me to bring you to Jesus Christ, the one who pays your debt. Well, then he goes on, look at verse 20. Paul here, and he's using words that he's been using throughout the, the letter. He says, yes, brother, I want some benefit. Earlier he says, you give great benefit to others. Paul says, now I want benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart. You have refreshed the, the hearts of the saints. And he praises God for that. But now he says, brother, I want you to refresh my heart. Refresh my heart in Christ. How would he do that? Could it be by setting Onesimus free? What could refresh his heart more? And then look at verse 21. Paul writes, confident of your obedience. So earlier he says, I'm not going to command you. But then he says, I'm confident that you're going to listen. Confident of your obedience, I write you. Knowing, listen to this, that you will do even more than what I say, knowing that you will do even more. Now, what is the even more? What is the even more that Paul is assuming that Philemon is going to do out of obedience to Jesus Christ? Could it be that the even more is to receive 
Onesimus back as a brother in Christ and to set him free. Could that be what Paul means by even more? Sure, it could be that. But Paul is even calling to more than that. He doesn't come out directly and say, free the slave. He says even more, receive him as your brother. Receive him as part of your family. Whatever he's done wrong, count it to my account. Forgive Philemon. Forgive him and receive him back. And then finally, verse 22, Paul says, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me. Remember, he said, receive him as you would receive me. This is how Paul expects to be received by Philemon. Prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. This is amazing. Paul is going to come and be with his friends and be with the church again. But it's also a way of saying, you know what? I'm going to find out if you listen to me. I'm going to find out. I'm checking up on you. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there and see what you did. I don't think of this so much as a threat, but as a promise that Paul is going to come and be restored to his family in Christ, his friends, Philemon, and hopefully to see Onesimus received as well, just as Philemon would receive Paul. This is the end of slavery for Philemon. So what in the world can we take away? What is the call to Philemon here? The call is not just to obedience, but it's to even more. To receive him back, not just as a slave, but as a brother. And not just that, but as a beloved brother in Christ. What will it look like for us, brothers and sisters in Christ, to be even more kind of people? To go above and beyond what we need to do to be politically correct, right, in our relationships with each other. To just do enough so that we won't be considered racist or classless. What will it mean for us, brothers and sisters in Christ? What will it mean for us to do even more? Maybe for some, it might be involved in something on a grand scale, such as human trafficking and fighting against that. Maybe it's to be involved with something such as the Equal Justice Initiative or other organizations like that, that are dealing with injustice on many different levels. Maybe it's much smaller than that. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's with your neighbors on your street. Maybe it's advocating for someone that nobody else will advocate for. Maybe it's challenging some things that that people have assumed all along, such as this is condoning slavery, which obviously it's not. What will it mean for you to do even more? And before I go to the next thing, one thing I want to say, I, I call this the end of slavery for Philemon. Because you see, Onesimus is not the only one who's suffering. So is Philemon. And I don't just mean because a slave ran away and maybe stole some stuff. The oppressor also needs to be set free. Let me read to you. This is from Martin Luther King's book, Strength to Love. And this is, it's it's really a collection of his sermons. And this is from his sermon that's called Loving Your Enemies. And I just want to read, Please, please bear with me for this paragraph that I read here as he talks about the what they're really after in this movement. It says, to our most bitter, bitter opponents, we say, 
We shall match your, your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. Throw us in jail and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead and we shall still love you. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process. And our victory will be a double victory. And so Paul is not just here to try and win freedom for Onesimus. The Apostle Paul is also here trying to win freedom for Philemon, to set him free, to treat his brothers and sisters as they truly are, as people made in the image and likeness of God. The image of God is not just a noun. We also image God in the way that we treat other people who are made in the image of God. This is the freedom or the end of slavery for Philemon. Now, let me close with this, and that is the end of slavery for us. The end of slavery for us. Now, what, is this, what, what does this mean? We don't know. It doesn't tell us how Philemon responded, right? What do you think he did with this letter? How do you think he responded? How do you think he responded when he's hearing this letter and the whole church is gathered around listening to it. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But given the fact that this is a part of the scripture, that it's a part of God's word, it's probably an indicator that he responded favorably. He responded in the way that, that Paul was calling him to and hoping for. Did that blow up slavery? Obviously it didn't. It took many thousands of years. And slavery still exists now. Why did it take so long? I don't know. As Jimmy talked about last week, I don't know why it took so long. I, I wish that it would say it more forcefully here, but I, I want to read you what Jimmy quoted us from Esau Macaulay's book. He says, on the first read, the Bible does not appear to say all that we want it to say in the way that we want the Bible to say it. Right? Isn't that true with what we read here in Philemon? We want him to say much more and in a different way, but... This is the crucial part. The Bible says more than enough. There's more than enough said here to let us know that Philemon does not endorse or condone slavery. There is more than enough here for us to see that Paul is at the very least sowing seeds of the gospel that will bring about the destruction, the obliteration of the institution of slavery. There is more than enough of that here for us to see. So people of God, in light of that, how shall we respond? In light of that, what shall we do? We shall live as a people who bring freedom 
in the places where we are? What might that look like for you? What might that look like in your own life? That is the call to us. Why is that? Because we ourselves are a people in Christ who our own very existence, our own identity is grounded in the fact that we are a people who've been freed from slavery. That's who we are. And so how much more should we then be freedom fighters for the sake of Christ? It's a story I heard actually share with, with kids, and it takes place during the time of slavery. And it's a story of a, a miner who is traveling from the East Coast all the way to the West, which, which is growing and expanding because he hears that, that there's gold there and he wants to go there and find it and become a wealthy man. And so he travels West and he, he finds a place to dig and dig and dig and he, he strikes gold, his dream comes true. He strikes gold and he's a wealthy man and he has so many dreams for how he wants to spend his great wealth. And so he's traveling back, he's making his way back across the states to go back home. And there's one particular city that he's in and he, he travels there and he, he notices that there is a special gathering. And he, he gets a little closer to see what it is. And there's somewhat of a stage that's there and there's people that are brought up on the stage and there's people calling out, there's a crowd gathered together. There's all this commotion and, and what he realizes is that he has come upon a slave auction. On that stage, people who've been kidnapped from their home country are brought up and they are auctioned off to the highest bidder to enslave them and do whatever they wish with them. And just as he's coming there, there's someone, a young man that gets sold. And as he gets there and gets closer, there's a lovely young woman that gets brought up and people start to bid for her. And he can hear, as he's close enough now, he can hear the people around shouting out lewd things of, of what they would do with this woman if they were successful in purchasing her. And so the bidding goes up, it continues to go on. And then finally, the bidding ends because there's a person who bids far more than anybody else. And you know who it was? It was the miner. And so people are laughing. They're like, man, you're crazy. How in the world can you bid that much? But he does. He bids the most by far. And he buys the slave girl. And so he goes up to her and the, the person hands her to the miner. And the miner is there talking with her and looks at her in the face. And the woman looks at him and she spits in his face. And she says, I hate you. And he wipes the spit away and they walk off together. And then they're, they're walking down the street and they walk in front of a shop. And he says, just hold on right here, I'll be right back. And he goes in the shop and, and she can look in the window and see that he's negotiating or arguing even with the person who's behind the counter. And they're going back and forth and back and forth. And then she sees him take his gold bag and drop it on the counter. And then the, the person who's at the desk gets out these papers and forms and brings them out to the miner and the miner gets the forms and he walks out and he comes over to the woman and he says, these are your papers of manumission. You are free to go. And the woman can't believe it. 
She goes, this is too good to be true. She says, what are you talking about? I just saw you just bought me in the auction. And, and now you bought me and you're setting me free? And he says, that's why I bought you. I bought you so that I could set you free. And she began to weep and fell down on her knees and she fell down at his feet. And she says, all I wanna do is serve you because you bought me to set me free. Oh, brothers and sisters, isn't that our story? You and I have been bought, not with silver or gold or perishable things, but you and I have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus Christ, the one who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he lowered himself and became a slave so that you and I could be set free. Jesus Christ is the one who was treated as an enemy for our sakes so that we could be received as beloved sisters and brothers. Jesus Christ is the one who has done even more than we could ask or imagine. In giving himself for us, he bought us to set us free so that we can be free to serve him as his servants of freedom. This is the end of slavery for Onesimus, the end of slavery for Philemon. And brothers and sisters, it is the end of slavery for us. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, if there's any that are here that even maybe don't know if they're in the many, I pray that you might move in their hearts right now, that you might capture their hearts with knowing that Jesus Christ has been bought, or Jesus Christ bought their freedom through his own shed blood on a cross so that they could be free, so that they could have life. And I pray for any that don't know you, even right now, that they might turn in faith to you. And for the rest of us, Lord, may we be strengthened with your power. May we be captured anew in our hearts because of what you've done with us. And may we be moved out, catapulted in love to be your agents of freedom here in this world. Lord, we thank you for Onesimus and Philemon and their story. But Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ and what he's doing in our story. Lord, continue to write it for your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Amen, folks. See you all in a couple weeks.